and he's throttling it pretty good and on on. And one of the injector stacks comes off the injector <laughs> and he catches it midair. No, yeah. really? Yeah. That's right. That as he's flying it. down the right. And we get down to the end with the truck to tow him back. And Bill goes, here you go, Kevin. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. okay. How you doing? Pretty good. Good. I'm good. Yeah, you sound great. Okay. And we'll go to the left again. Ready? Boom. Yeah. One, <laughs> two, three, four. Hey, welcome to Car Guy Confessions, brought to you by ARP. I'm Jeff Smith. This is my car buddy, Cam Bensu, and car builder, Steve Strope. And we're going to tell you the stories. So we got a special episode here. Uh, we had so much fun with Kevin the last time he was here, and we, there were lots of stories. No, you ran away, Steve. We, you went you to band camp. Well, That's why he's back. You're he in missed for, me. You're in for a special treat. <laughs> oh, so God. we had so many fun stories that we... <laughs> you forget I know him. <laughs> <laughs> that we had, there were so much stories that we didn't get to talk to, especially one, mm -hmm. which is the tuna tank. That is. So yep. we have to give a little bit of history around the tuna tank as okay. to what it is and how it started and then what you're doing with it. Okay. Well, um, my dad, Dave McClelland, uh, we lived in Shreveport, Louisiana. That's where I was born. Okay. And my mom claims I'm so into cars is because they hung out at Shreve Automotive in 58 as they were turning a brand new 58 Corvette into a gasser. You know, gas. And so wow. she was there pregnant. Is she's in the shop with solvent and everything, and that's why <laughs> gasoline fuse. That's what happened to me, right? Yes, exactly. that explains so, many things. Anyway, in um, in 1961, Shreve Automotive commissioned Ronnie Ronnie Screma down here in southern in Southern California to build a Fiat Topolino for them to race. Mm. And I believe Ronnie Screama built something like six or eight of them. Sushma Shabara had one. Oh, yeah. uh, the the Mondello car was Mondello one. Car, yes. Um, Beautiful there's, there's car. There's several. Oh, yeah. And I'm helping um, uh, Zane Cullen. Oh, I know the Katati car you're Speed. Yes. And he, I know what you're he reached about. out to me because he's like, Kevin, do you know anything about this car? Your dad's name's involved and on and on. He sent me pictures. And I went, yeah, that's a Screama car. Uh -huh. I said, come on down. You can take measurements off the Fiat. You, I can tell you how to get it back to what the guy wants, right? Cool. Because right. he's supposed to restore it back to period correct. Right. With what, oh, awesome. What, what, what were they you're helping him with that. Uh, I believe that one had, it possibly could have had a Hemi in it, but it was more, he has, he has the body. Mm-hmm. And like two other pieces, he has no chassis. He has nothing, and he has to replicate this car oh, to a Hot Rod Magazine story. By the way, let me let me throw in a plug. We Please. were talking about a gentleman named Zane Colony has a place up in Santa Rosa, California, called Katati Speed Shop, and they're one of the best hot rod fabrication shops in the country. Zane is top shelf. Yep. Uh, so whenever they do start putting stuff online, follow along. I guarantee yeah, you absolutely. it will be cool. worth yeah. your time to watch anything Zane's putting together. Yeah. Great yeah. And great guy. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Guy. I mean, I was at Flowmaster for 15 years. Oh, yeah, Zane's right shop the was right down, right, the street. right down the street. So, I mean, we were always together. We supported them. We built all their exhaust for their cars yep. and so on. So, no, Zane is their top, top shelf, as you said, cool. period. period. So, anyway, back to the Fiat. The so, the tank, yes. That, that's a whole story into itself. But anyway, the car was built in 61. Mm -hmm. They they built it and put a blow-nose mobile in it. Okay. They went to the U.S. Nationals in 1962, and and um, they lost in the final when it broke the rear end. It had a Dana 44 rear end in it at the time. Wow. Okay? Wow. And so um, it then it traveled around in northern uh, Louisiana a little bit. Then it went down to New Orleans, and Charlie Cruz, a friend of ours in South Louisiana— he had the car and had an injected small block in it on nitro. Nice. 
and raced it through the, you know, 66 through 68-ish, right? Wow. Well, we moved to South Louisiana in 69, and my dad ran Southland Dragway, which was a premier. It was a brand-new racetrack down there. Very cool. And so when we moved, we moved on from there and moved up to uh, Louisville, Texas, just north of Dallas. And he was then the vice president of Dallas International Motor Speedway, which was the first super track, if you will, in yeah, the United States. Absolutely. And so we, he bought the Fiat from Charlie, put it on a trailer, we drug it to Texas, and it sat on the trailer, right? <laughs> well, three months later, they sold the drag strip to AHRA. Okay. And they had had the 71 uh, Spring Nationals at Dallas. Mm -hmm. And that was my first national event I went to. Wow. And so um, my dad and he, and, and excuse me, Wally Parks were talking. Mm -hmm. And when it found out that it was sold to AHRA, my dad's like, I can't work for HRA. And that's how we moved to Southern California. Wally hired him to come out to LA and be the head of marketing for NHRA. Okay. Okay. So we drugged the Fiat out here. And so he kept touching all of his friends in the aftermarket, so on and getting parts and this and mm -hmm. Cyclone built his headers and, you know, so on and so forth. And he and I, I was 13 years old. We ported cast iron big block square port heads, <laughs> built a 60 over 427, four uh -huh. right, with Hilburn injection and put this thing all together, a B&M clutch turbo. Clutch turbo. Right. And so extremely violent. Oh yeah. <laughs> a lot of fun to drive. <laughs> Smack you into the seat. It would. Yeah. It would. So anyway, we built this car. We took it out and I showed you the picture and I can Excuse share me. the picture so you guys can put it up yeah. of, of when Wild Bill Shrewsbury drove it the very first time at Irwindale with no body on the car wow. just to see if it would work. Mm -hmm. Just drive it down the track. Yeah. Well, the best part about the story is he gets to about a thousand foot and he's throttling it pretty good and on on. And one of the injector stacks comes off the injector, <laughs> and he catches it in midair. No. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's, right? As that, he's that, flying that. down the right. And we get down to the end with the truck to tow him back, and Bill goes, here you go, Kevin. And I'm like. <laughs> but, nice um, reaction. Yeah. yeah. So we ran the car uh, as a bracket car, basically, at Irwindale okay. and at Orange County. And we went to Palmdale back uh, to Antelope Valley Dragway back yes. in the day yeah. uh, from 74 through 76. Okay. And I got to start driving it when I was uh, 15 years old. 15. Yeah. And because how quick was this car? It, at the time when I started driving it, it would go 980. 980 and then at about 140? 136. 136. Yeah, it, had, it had 538 gears. It was Woo! singing in the finish line. Yikes. But it's boy, it'd haul ass in the first 60 foot, right? <laughs> first 60 foot, yeah. On a clutch turbo, right? So anyway. <laughs> and lift the tires about... Two feet oh, oh yeah. It, oh, yeah. <laughs> it mattered, right? Because back then we didn't have rev, rev limiters or right. chips, yeah. right? Right. You just stand on So you would either hold the throttle at like five grand mm -hmm. and swap pedals. <laughs> or you'd put the gas pedal on the bell housing uh, and let and go of the clutch. Let, let fly on the clutch So pedal. if you left it five grand, it would wheel stand. Mm -hmm. If you left it full throttle, it goes straight out. The front <laughs> tires would come up about like that and just... Haul ass, wow, right? Cool. But back then, we didn't have sixty foot clocks. We didn't have eighth mile. Right. We had none of that, right? Right. right. You got a handwritten e nine eighty two at one hundred and thirty five miles an hour. Here you, you go. Figured there's, out the rest. There's of it your for report yourself. card, right? Right. Right. So over time, we put aluminum heads on it and did things. And the quickest I ever went was uh, nine thirty four at one hundred and forty three. And that was in 76, right before we took it apart. And this is a 99-inch wheelbase car. At the time, it was 98. 98. It's now 99. 98. You know, it's a, we stretched it. That's a roller skate. <laughs> it's a roller skate with a rat motor on it. Yeah. So we had a lot of fun with it. It taught me a lot about oh, car boy. control, right? Oh, yeah. As, as, 
I was there, we were there on a weekday. And at the time, Steve Evans was the, uh, the track manager at Owendale mm-hmm. and we're out there and, and my dad goes, you want to drive it? I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So, um, 15 years old. hop in the car, fire the thing up. And he goes, all he said to me is he looked at me and he goes, respect horsepower. That's all he said. Wow. Right. I'd been around the car. I built the car, right. Yeah. Put it together with him and did a lot of it myself. Yeah. And, uh, so anyway, I go down and i I go like 11s the first pass. Mm-hmm. Evans turns to my dad and goes, he ain't scared of it. <laughs> right. And so I come driving back up and he goes, you want to make another run? I'm like, of course. Yeah. Right. And he just left me in the car next run and run as hard as it'd go. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I ran like nine eighty something, the second <laughs> pass in a car that actually had any horsepower wow. that I'd ever driven. Right. Wow. So. That's amazing. I was ruined. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? Yes, exactly. You know, my son has got electric cars. He's got fast street cars and so on. And I put him in every race car that I own. Uh-huh. But yeah, I, I was ruined. <laughs> and a little sidebar, and I'm sorry, I'm just going off. No, this is field. great stuff. Right. Yeah. So Daniel, he, I think, you know, I don't know what episodes are going to be in which order. But right. he said he started driving go-karts at 11, mm-hmm. right, or racing in, at 11. Uh-huh. So... I had driven go-karts right out of high school and it teaches you ultimate car control. Yes. Ultimate. Yes. Right. If you can handle a go-kart and, and so on, you can drive anything. Mm-hmm. It, it checks to see if you have a gyro in your ass. Yes. Sorry if ridic- I went past, but that's, that's, that's the bottom line. It's ridiculously line. short wheelbase. Right. Yes. Buttonometer. Exactly. Yes. 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 Sphincter test. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> so. You too can um, get this kind of entertainment at home for free. For free. Right now on your screen. <laughs> yes. So it, it, for Daniel's birthday, for his 11th birthday, we bought a, uh, a, a driving school, Terry Ives Go-Kart Driving School, a world-famous yeah. driver in go-karts back in the day. And it was outside of Sacramento. And I told Lisa, I, my wife, I said, I want to get that for Daniel for mm-hmm. his birthday. Mm-hmm. And she goes, okay, well, um, what, if, what if he wants to do it? You know, like after I said, then we'll do it. We'll go racing. (laughs) And so three go-karts later, right? (laughs) He turned 16 and I finally said, you got to pick a lane. I can't afford drag racing and And go-karts. I was spending more money on go-karts than I was on my drag race car at the time. So one of the things I like to do is always assemble an engine with ARP bolts, and it's not just because they're sponsors, but because it really does work. Um, and and the stuff is fantastic. I never have to worry about it. Steve, you building building cars too? Yeah, uh, actually, it's part of my baseline design plan when I'm building a car that's going to be shown or featured in a magazine. It's part of the plan to have that little bit of diamonds all over the engine bay or in the suspension. Yeah, Yeah, the stuff is beautiful. I remember uh, a long time ago I built the first time I ever touched it, 69Z28, all of the uh, water jacket holes had stripped out, and I learned about ARP studs. So check them out at arp-bolts.com or check out their catalog. You'll find everything you're looking for. But the Fiat, we moved to Southern California in 71. We put it together. I raced it, like I said. In 76, we took it apart to build a, uh, a project for Popular Hot Riding Magazine. Okay. They wanted to do a drag race series on, and it was called, uh, it was Project Econo Altered. Okay. We took it Which apart. It was big back then. It was really big. Yeah. That, was the, yeah. that was the beginning of the Econo Dragster, Econo yes. Altered, you know, yeah. phase of NHRA drag racing. So we got a bunch of parts. You know, we got the manifold and the, the carburetor from Holly that, that was spec for that class. Mm-hmm. We were putting a 330-inch Osmobile in it. Okay. Right? 
because of the cylinder heads and the, the, the architecture of the engine. Uh-huh. And so we started doing these modifications and so on, and it just languished like a lot of magazine story project yep. cars. Yep. Right? Not unusual at all. Right. <laughs> so it sat for many years. We sandblasted it. We did some upgrades to it. Well, back in about 1992, uh, he took it to Pro Chassis, Mike Ruth's shop, yeah. before he moved away. Before he went back to Chicago. Yes, yes, yes. And Mike Ruth took, and we kept it as nostalgia as possible. The front frame rails are original, but everything, after you get into the body, we cut off, and it's all chromoly, it's all certified, it's a legal 750 drag race car. Wow, okay. And my dad raced it for several years. Mm-hmm. I was in Northern California, Tim Moore, our best friend, yeah. who's, God rest your soul. Passed away. Um he helped him put it back together and helped him build the car and helped him race it through those years. Mm -hmm. Uh, My dad ended up winning the March meet one year. Really, He's the only race out of all the drag racing my dad's ever observed, Uh been to everything. He, that's the only race he's ever won. Wow. Right. He's always behind the microphone. Sure. Now he got to drive a lot of different cars and a lot of people's race cars through the years, Mm -hmm. but he finally won a race. And it was funny because he sat there and he, he won in the final round and the guy pulls off and he's yelling, you're a sandbagger. Da-da-da-da-da. My dad's like, I just hold my foot on the floor and the light comes on and I, the, I leave. my light came on in my lane. You know, what do you mean? You bracket racers. And my dad just had a laugh. He calls me, right? Because I wasn't even there. So anyway, it took us a long time to get to where the car would repeat and do that safely. Mm-hmm. Um, thank God for Roger Lamb. Roger Lamb took my dad under his wing. Uh, Roger took the car to his shop and, and basically the reworked the chassis. Yeah. Because the, the, what was happening is the ge- geometry in the front end is the front axle would droop. It would turn oh, the front wheels. <laughs> right? Because the radius rods and the, and the, yep. the we're not relay the, rod were not we're in the, not same, in the plane. same plane. Okay? Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so it would leave yeah. the starting line. It'll, He'd go out about 60 feet with the front wheels in there and come down and go, right? Yikes. And being 99 inches, it would end up on two wheels, and they were the wrong two wheels, right? (laughs) They were the ones on this side. It would be this way or this way, right? And my mom (laughs) watched that happen repeatedly, right? And finally, Roger helped him with the front suspension. Then I worked on the four-link a couple times that I'd come down. Mm -hmm. And the car actually worked pretty good by the time my mom goes, okay, we've had enough fun, (laughs) right? And and my dad put it in the NHRA museum. Okay. Okay. So a lot of folks got to see it, which we're very proud of and happy that a lot of people got to see the experience, read all the stuff about it and everything. Well, um, about four years ago, three years ago, we finally talked my mom into letting us take it out of the museum. Ah. And I drug it home. So it took me about a year, year and a half to go through, upgrade the safety stuff, you know, make it sure that it's safe and, right. and legal. And, right. and the engine had not even been turned in 16 years. Wow. And the valve springs were all compressed. I mean, there was nothing. Right. It, there was no, it's, <laughs> it's not going to be there for 14 years. What, you know. <laughs> It'll be there for six months. So I bring it home. Shoot some marble oil in all the cylinders, bar the thing over. It, it was free when I turned it over. Yeah. Looked in there with a bore scope, and there's no real rust or anything. Uh, change the trans fluid, change the rear end fluid, uh, put a master cylinder on it, right? Put oil in it, lash the valves, fired it up. We sat out there in the front yard, Daniel's in it. <laughs> and, I mean, it's like we got grins from ear to ear, ah, right? Cool. And so um, we proceeded to take it to Irwindale to test it for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I haven't driven it. I believe the last time I drove it was uh, 1996. I made okay. a run in it. So like 25 years ago. Right. 
Yikes. And um, so I get in it, and uh, my brother's there, my dad's there, um, and and the, the whole purpose of the day was to get Daniel in it mm-hmm. after I made a couple runs with my dad there. So three generations of us yeah, could be there cool and experience that? that, right? Yeah. And so anyway, uh, pull up, do a burnout, back up, put on the trans brake, let her eat, and I go like <laughs> 546 at 125 on the first pass in the eighth, <laughs> eighth mile. At Irwindale, which Irwindale. can be an adventure. Right, yes, yes, okay? because it's a very narrow track. It, it can be, especially at the top end. <laughs> at the top end, <laughs> the shutdown area <laughs> that goes like this. Yep. So with that, um, I come back. My brother is just like looking at me cross-eyed like, I, I didn't know you were going to run it out. <laughs> I'm like, well, it was going straight. What do you want me to do? Yeah, it's yeah. like, that's what we do, that's right? Good. Yeah. yeah and so yeah. I proceeded to make the second run. We made some wheelie bar adjustments and it went out and shook the tires. So I went back and we plugged Daniel in and he went, he went 541 and 126 in his first pass in the car. Wow. So um, <laughs> we're really having a lot of fun with the car. I want to take it out and run it nostalgia racing because, mm-hmm. you know, that's, a lot of stuff that's going on uh, sure. that's still available, if you yes. will, here in Southern California. Yes. Um, Steve Gibbs and Cindy Gibbs. Uh, Steve was the competition director for NHRA for 20-some odd years, yeah. ran all the national events. Yes. Uh, I worked for him on the safety safari for like seven years. Uh-huh. Um, he They put on a, a, a race called the Nitro Revival. Okay. And they're having a race on November 6th and 7th at Irwindale that uh, is uh, a two-day race. And... On Sunday, they're going to do a, you know, you hear of cackle fest, right? right that they right. start up these fuel cars. Yeah. yeah I'm familiar. <clears throat> well, on Sunday, they're going to start every nitromethane-powered car on the property at 1 o'clock. <laughs> Not just on the racetrack, right. but if you're in the pits everywhere, everyone is going to. Fire them up. Right. Yeah. So there's going to be an intense amount of noise, <laughs> and any electrified folks will be very annoyed, <laughs> annoyed. At, at the sound oh, and the symphony. Bleed, and the symphony, yes, that they're going to hear. But um, now we're excited running the car. Um, I raced it for the first time, uh, the second time we took it out, uh-huh. and I won the first round in the car that I had ever won because I had just made runs in it back in the seventies. Oh, really? You know, I tried to race it and red lit and did this, but. Yeah. No, I did. I got the very first round win right, in the round car. Win, yeah, uh, yeah, we showed up at a, a a bottom bulb race, a non-electronics race mm-hmm. at Irwindale that Jeff Jones was putting on. Okay, and Daniel was racing the wagon, and I'm I'm in the Fiat, and I had no business being there. I just <laughs> let's be completely honest about this, right? Have, haven't raced the car ever in competition, you right, know, since right. whatever, and just trying to work it out to where you could react properly, sure. right? Slow down the reaction because it's a very fast car. Yeah. And I ended up going uh, red second round. Okay. And Daniel went on to win the $5,000 race that day. Really? So luckily, it, wow. we didn't get to that point. You yeah. Know, but no, it doesn't have the clutch turbo in it anymore. It doesn't. It, it, uh, not, not just it has turbo a, a, a B&M Powerglide. Pure, a Powerglide, okay. Yep. yep. Um, yeah, B&M has sponsored us. They've been gracious. The Spar family for, gosh, since 76, Ooh, yeah. 75. Yeah, that's for, a long time. You know. Yeah. Yep. We've uh, had a, a lot of good partners. A lot of good sports. Uh, such a, because of the history of the car, if you go back, so it goes back to 61. 61 was when the car wow. was originally built. So it's built. been 60 years that that car has spent on the drag strip. Yep. With yep. a few things There's been a few, pauses, a few pauses, right? Yeah, well, it and, was in the museum for 16 years. changing, yeah. you know, but... But still, no, it's it's uh it's had a, a storied long time. history. That's yeah. a long time, and luckily it hadn't hit anything. 
See, now you do that with regularity. Yes, they do. Why did you just say that? What? What do you mean? Just jinx the whole thing. No, no. I don't. Well, up I don't to now, I haven't stuff. hit anything. No, uh, the machine doesn't. Doesn't. Oh, I, oh, I believe yeah. in it fully in racing. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. I've seen way too much great happen. stuff. I mean, and, you have and, too. And three generations. That's yeah. the neatest part of the whole story. Yep. You know, to me, it's like that's what's really fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and you, I, you got photos. We'll have to have. We'll have to put the photos up of your dad when he was there at the test track. And yep. Yeah. What percentage do you run? It's it's just straight methanol. Oh. Sorry, there's no pop in it. Oh. Um, well, and who cares? What, well, yeah, sorry, you know, Steve. I, <laughs> well, you were um, saying nitro. Well, oh, oh, no, I'm oh. saying the nitro revival. The right? nitro revival. But they, they have all types of uh, nostalgia cars. Sure. Oh, yeah, there, I know. Right? I, I, I was very fortunate enough to be involved with uh, uh, Steve Pluger on the Pluger mm-hmm. Geiger yep. Funny uh, Mustang. And mm-hmm. I helped sponsor a little bit with um, Garrett Bateman, the driver. And then I went with Garrett over to Les Leggett. Mm-hmm. Uh, his uh, Nitro Pirate uh, Corvette, and then uh, for a little while, Garrett went with this um, to a fuel dragster with a company called Hiplink, and I was involved a little bit with that. So uh, I like the nostalgia stuff better. I love <laughs> I love the funny cars. I, oh yes, yeah. uh, it's so cool up at up at the uh, up at Bakersfield at night. It's just the baddest son of a bitch thing, man. <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> love it. Just watching them come around the come around from the pits over and you're sitting on the same old planks of same, wood yes oh yes. you know there's it, no difference it, the same splinters at, yeah. at, <laughs> at, at night and you can't see the newer late model cars over there it's you kind of squint your eyes it's, and it's, think well, you don't even have to squint because everything yeah. looks right you know until time machine till someone you know some of the guys were running the little longer stretch more aerodynamic nostalgia funny yeah. bodies but right our, you know, the Pluger Geiger car wasn't. It was no, it was know, real. Yeah. yeah. Oh it's yeah. Why they ran. Yeah, and it was. Uh, what a great experience! I was so fortunate to be in, involved with those guys, and uh, what a wonderful thing. And I, I know of your car, mm-hmm. of course, but that's I didn't know you put it back into service. So that's yeah. that's really cool. So one uh, final, I know I've okay. rambled, right? <laughs> no, it's great. But the tuna tank, uh-huh. right? Oh yeah, the name, the name. So my dad again, worked at the National Hot Rod Association. Mm-hmm. And so they're taking a break during the day. And there's uh, Steve Gibbs, Leslie Lovett, uh, Bill Holland, my dad, and they're all in the break room. And break is over, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. And Wally walks in and goes, what do you guys think this place is, a tuna factory? <laughs> The next weekend, the Fiat was called the Tuna the Tank. The Tuna Tank. And that was by Bill Holland. Bill named it. That's funny. Because right? it was the That's Swamp great. Devil before that, because we brought it from Louisiana. From Louisiana. Yeah, right? sure. So mm. it had been monikered the Swamp Devil at Irwindale, <laughs> right? <laughs> but there's the, we're all the way up to Tuna Tank uh, 7. Yep, okay. Tuna Tank 7. seven. Um, several of Daniel's go-karts were Tuna Tanks. Okay. But the, my 57 was Tuna Tank 2. Two, right. Tim's Roadster that I drove was Tuna Tank 3. three. My Roadster now is 4. Okay. Right? Then two go-karts, and then the wagon is Tuna Tank 7. Uh-huh. And uh, our 64 El Camino, because it's a pseudo streetcar, we didn't call it a Tuna, tank. It's, tuna it's, tank. it's just Frankie. <laughs> Because it was basically built from built every from part, spare parts had from laying around everywhere. Oh, yeah. Right? Yep, yep. Daniel's fiance yep. called, uh, named it Frankie. So <laughs> for lovingly, huh? right. yeah, Pope Francis. Yeah, because it was so holy from all the rust. <laughs> I come home one day from them working on it all day, right? Yeah. And there's a little hat sitting on top of the roof in like uh, origami, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm like, 
what in the hell is this, <laughs> right? And Shirley sits there and goes, oh, this is Pope Francis <laughs> because it's so, it's so holy. holy. <laughs> so, yeah, we've all dealt with our rust and everything and cutting stuff out and yep. putting cars back together, you know. Mm. It's, uh, well, mm. those are the great stories, you know, yeah. and, and to have your whole family involved this whole thing is a great That's deal. That's extremely so, yeah, cool. Yeah. So Keeps we, me out of we, jail. We just thought, huh? Keeps me out of jail. Yeah, absolutely, you know? yeah. Because you don't have time to get in trouble. Right, right. <laughs> I wish I could stay out of jail. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> right. Yeah. So we just thought Kevin's had such a great number of stories that we just had to bring this one out again and, and let you know about it. And uh, maybe you can follow it online. I'm yep. sure that they'll be. Oh, yeah, definitely on, on social media. It'll social be on media. Facebook. Absolutely. Do you look up you or yeah. Tuna Tank? Uh, well, there's uh, you can look at Big Mac Racing, hashtag Big Mac Racing, okay. hashtag Tuna Tank Racing, right? Uh, or Team Tuna Tank, excuse me. Yeah. Team Tuna Tank. Okay. Um, but, yes, there's... Uh, There'll be all kinds of stuff on Facebook cool. and so on because cool. I mean Lucas Oil, Canon, all of our sponsors. All, we we constantly are having to all you know keep it out there in front. Absolutely, right. I mean right. you know. important right. question: Are there tuna tank T-shirts? Well, there was the original tuna tank T-shirts that were made back in 1990 ish. That John Bell, the artist, made mm-hmm. the the shirts, mm-hmm. and uh, I think there's a few left. There's not a new one that we haven't commissioned a new one. Mm-hmm. Because I would really like to make a shirt that has all the cars on it, you know, and, cool. and everything. That's cool. That would be but, cool. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the, the tuna family uh, affair. The people yeah. that have tuna tank T-shirts, like they'll they'll pull them out for the winter circles. Right? <laughs> our, our group, you know, Charlie Allen, he'll yeah. take and he just that's the only time the shirt comes out uh-huh. is for when he wins a wins a race, yep. so he can have the tuna tank tuna shirt, tank on, shirt right? On. So excellent, yeah. Very cool. Good times. Very cool. Great stories. Great Thank stories. You. Great, great racing family. I mean, it's just all fun stuff. We'd like to introduce you to a new sponsor of ours. This is InTheGarageMedia.com. Some friends of ours that were in the print magazine business before and now started their own books. we got All Chevy Performance, Classic Truck Performance, and Modern Rotting. Yeah, these are awesome books. They've got uh, lots of uh, educational and entertainment things in them. And they're even good enough quality to include Steve Strope quality maybe, vehicles. Maybe. Uh, he's we'll see if I'm allowed it. in there. Right. I don't know. So in the garage media, in the garage media.com. Check them out. Check them out. Get your subscription, sit and read it. And with ARP, it's not just a lot of intake manifolds, uh, studs for heads, right. but they also have a humongous selection of American and metric that we use all throughout the car, even large bolts that we use on the suspension components because you want that same strength that same durability and reliability, right. plus the beautiful looks. And the and, stuff outside the catalog. Right. They have a special order program where if you're if you're a builder and you need some special stuff made, they can do that for you. So it's an amazing, amazing company to work with. So check them out at arp-bolts.com or check out their catalog. You'll find everything you're looking for. Kind of a special fun one today. So Military edition? Military edition. Okay. So a um, little bit of backstory real, real quick. My father was an A-4 driver in the Marine Corps. My brother was a bombardier navigator in the A-6. I think if I had not been into cars as deeply as I was, I probably would have gone a whole different route to this whole thing. So come from a military family, and one of the advantages of being the editor of Hot Rod Magazine back in the day, 1992, Mm -hmm. my publisher comes in one day, 
back then we had such a pull on on young men just graduating from high school with a lot of technical expertise. Right. The Air that was Force, our, the that was Navy, our readership at that, that time. That was our readership. Big readership. A lot the, of all three military branches were advertising with the magazine, and they were always pushing us to do what could you do for us? What could, what kind of stuff could we do with you? And my publisher walks in my office one day. Harry Hibbler walks in and says, you're probably not going to want to do this, but uh, you want to go for a ride with the Thunderbirds and an F-16? <gasps> Uh, yeah, let's go now. And it's like, well, no, no, no. It's, Pick me. It's going to be three or four months, you know. So we set the whole thing up, and uh, so I, I arrive at Nellis Air Force Base in outside of Las Vegas. That's where the home of the Thunderbirds, and um, my pilot's Captain Chris Shambliss, who is the narrator for the team, and uh, he says, "Okay, set me up the day the day before." Uh, come in way in the morning, and they run me through all the safety procedures and everything. All these things. They hooked me up in the harness, and they said, "Okay, if if the pilot says eject, eject, eject at the end of the third one, he's gone. You better be going too." And uh, all the stuff that you'll never need because we've never had a problem. Blah blah blah. So, um, and I knew this all going in ahead of time. So, uh, my father was an like I said, it was an A four driver, but he was a Mustang. And as a Mustang, that is, in the military, that is an enlisted man who then becomes an officer. So my dad was a plane captain and in, in, enrolled or enlisted in the Navy in, I think, 1949 or 1950, right? right. So by the time he got to be a plane captain, Korea was over, and uh, realized that as a plane captain, he's the guy that's responsible for the bird, right? He's the one that's responsible for the aircraft. And decided he would much rather fly them than work on them. So... Went through Pensacola, got his wings, and became a pilot. And uh, so I'm talking to my dad now. This is now, you know, literally 45, 42 years later. And uh, so we're talking. He goes, now, look, you know, we're going to be pulling some Gs in this aircraft because it's rated to nine Gs. That's the maximum they can pull. And he says, you might feel a little queasy. Whatever you do, don't yak in the man's airplane, right? So, yes, sir. And uh, so he's telling me, he says, so we go through all these procedures and everything. So then... They go to stick me in the bird, and, uh, <clears throat> and the crew chief is bolting me in place. Here's your, here's your, here's your air sick bag. Here's the, here's the canopy, you know, the ejection seat. Here's the air sick bag. Here's the throttle. Here's, the, there's the air sick bag. <laughs> and after about four of this, I said, so my dad was an A4 driver with the Marine Corps, and you know, and he, he, he told me what to do if, if like the un, worst possible thing happens, right? And you filled all these bags, and you got to yak again. He says, you pull your mask off, and you just yak in your suit. And uh, I said. Because the cleanup on aisle nine is pretty Oh, nasty. the okay. cleanup is ugly, and, yeah, and the crew chief has to do it. So I, I told him, <laughs> I said, so my dad told me what to do. And I went through that procedure, and he looked at me and said, I'd really appreciate that, sir. <laughs> I said, but don't worry. It's not going to happen. So we take off. So what they do is they line you all up on the end of the runway. Pulls in a full military power. Actually puts it into afterburner. Pulls okay, it up about 150 feet off the deck. And then you look out and say, wave to the people over there. And then he stands it on its tail and goes up 5.6 Gs this way and then knocks it over on its back. And you fly back down the runway inverted. And uh, that was the beginning. So How high did it go up? How high yeah, I think go? we went like 15, 10,000 feet, 12,000 feet, something in, in a matter of seconds. Because yeah, sure. the F-16 has more thrust than weight. So it can accelerate 5.6 Gs. So that's 5.6 G, your body Atmosphere. weight yeah. shoving you down into into the seat. So then we go out to the gunnery range where they, they you know, go test. And then we had a lot of fun. So he what he would do is he would say, here, well, let's do an inside loop. And then and it would give me the stick because I had a stick. Now, F-16... Um, 
is not hydraulic, it's electronic. So the stick sits on, on, your, on your forearm, right forearm with a pad here, and it just, the top of the stick deflects an eighth of an inch. So you think you move it and the bird reacts. And it's amazing. So if you squint your eyes a little bit and the canopy is clear, I'm Peter Pan, <laughs> right? I mean, this is so cool. So we do an inside loop and he goes, you try it. And yep. you pull across the top, and you fall out of your out of your seat, and then pull back positive on the way back down. He says, oh, "That's good. That's good." Now, so let's try this. And we did one of the things in their routine is an like an eight, I think, or eight or ten points, three hundred sixty degree roll. So he does one, and you'll see this in the video, and and, and then you watch mine, and it's like whoa, whoa, all over the place. And uh, so I said, "What's a split S?" Which is you pull up this way and then roll it back that way. So we did a couple of split S's, and so we're doing some stuff, <clears throat> and I'm starting to feel a little queasy, you know, and, and so the pilot, every, every about every minute, he's asking me, how you doing, how you doing, how you doing? I'm fine. And then I was like, well, something a little queasy a little bit. He goes, just take your mask off, let some fresh air on your face, 30 seconds a minute. It's like, I'm good to go, right? Pop the mask mm -hmm. back on. He goes, okay, let's pull some G's. Okay, so what we do. And we have video of this, right? This will be uh, showing. Uh, yeah, we'll now, show. now yeah. the video doesn't really show you very much because you can't experience what's really going on. So it doesn't really look like much. But he says, here we're going to do. We're going to put it into a left-hand turn, put this thing into afterburner, and then you just pull and stick as hard as you can. And we'd walk through all these things ahead of time. And the only thing that I didn't do right was I always drive with my head forward. I always have. Because if I drive like this, I'm going to fall asleep in three seconds. So I had my head forward. Well, we got – so – Start pulling on the stick man, as hard as I can. And about six Gs in the video, it looks like I, passes, I pass out because my head goes boom. All right, are you ready? Eight, go ten, ahead, one, you're clear to schedule crew tactical range altimeter 299. Okay, go ahead and start pulling. Pull hard. Harder, 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 harder. Really hard. That's it. That's it. Keep pulling. Okay, let go for a second. Because uh, my head was over center, oh, yeah. and all the weight of this is not the flight helmet, um, gets over center and pushed my head down, my chin into my chest. I thought, I'm only going to get one shot of this, so I kept pulling. At the same time, I'm trying to pull my head up, which you can't do. Pulled all the muscles in my neck, right? So it hurts like hell. And he's going, pull, 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 keep pulling, keep pulling, keep pulling. We get to 8.9. He goes, okay, get it, lift, lift. So I lift off it. And he goes, man, we only got to 8.9. And I'm thinking, oh, that's, that's pretty good. good enough for me. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> and he goes, we really need to see nine. How you doing back there? I'm fine. I, I knew if I told him I hurt myself, we're done, right? right. We're going to go home. So <laughs> you'll feel that one tomorrow. Yeah. Are you all right? Yeah, okay. Okay. It just like I was trying to keep my head up, and once it went over, there was no pulling it back. Yeah. Okay. Well, we got up to 8.9. Really? Yeah. 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 Cool. You can see it in the hood. You want to do nine? Yeah. Figured you would. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't ready for that. Okay, doke. Yeah, just go ahead and set your head back. I mean, short of an arterial bleed, <laughs> you know, we're not going home until right. he says it's time to go home. So it's like. We really see need to see nine. He's got a he's got a tattletale yeah. on his yeah. on his heads up display that says eight point nine. Uh, okay, we'll do it again. He goes. I told him what my head went forward. He goes. Oh yeah, that'll, you'll feel that in the morning. Oh yeah. So put my head back. I mean, just pull on this thing right, and he's counting it off right, and it feels like there's a Volkswagen sitting on my chest right. So nine times. Let's use round numbers. Two hundred pounds. 
1,800 pounds is pushing down this way. My mask is coming down. The helmet is boring a hole in the top of my head. Uh, I can't breathe. And he's counting numbers off, right? So when I, when I pulled it, I should have had my head back further. Yeah. In fact, okay. you can go ahead and lay it back in the seat if you want. Okay. Okay, you ready? Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. You got the stick? Go ahead and pull whenever you're ready. Pull hard. Harder. Pull really hard. There you go. Keep going. Okay, I got it back. And we're wearing a G-suit. So a G-suit is like a boa restrictor constrictor around your thighs and your and your chest. And as you pull G's, it bleeds pressure off of the stages, the compressor stages, and bleeds it into your... So it's like this thing is squeezing the snot out of you, and that's to keep the blood in the top half of your right. head. Because what will happen is if you... The highest blood flow in your entire body is your eyes. So we were talking about this ahead on the flight, or before the flight, that if... Because uh, I was asking about G-lock. And he says, well, there's several stages to it. The first one is if you are pulling... Uh, you start pulling a lot of G's for a sustained period of time. The first thing that happens is your eyesight goes from color to black and white. Really? He goes, yeah. And if you keep pulling, eventually your peripheral vision starts to go like, well, not yet. So it starts to go like this. I said, well, what's out here? Fuzziness and grayness and eventually blackness. And I said, so what happens if you just keep going? It goes like. And then it goes away. I said, then you're. You're out. He goes, no, not necessarily. If you if you have, because they pull G's all the time, he says what will happen is you still have consciousness, but your you, none of your bodily functions work. So you say, you know, pull hard on, and your hand just goes, no, sorry, call back later, right? And then eventually you, you and eventually they will black out. Some people just go boom and they're out. Uh, I've seen some video of of test flights with you know with pilots in training and they just black out and boom it's over. Um, we were up there for probably a second, a second and a half, something like that. And I'm just like, I can't breathe. And we had nine years. Okay, lift, right? So, you know, and he goes, excellent, excellent. We got nine Gs. He says, what else you want to do? So we did a couple other things. And he goes, hey, you want to do um, a simulated bomb run? Yeah, yeah. So there's this, in the gunnery range, there's a, a, a ridge line. It's maybe like, I don't know, three, 4,000 feet. He goes, okay, here's the scenario. Bad guys are over here in the valley, and we're going to bomb them. So what we're going to do is we're going to come along the back side. So let's say this is the ridge line. Come along the, the back side below the ridge line, right up we against it, the and then uh -huh. the target is roll here. In. We're going to pop up, roll, back roll up, inverted, drop on acquire, the and this is dumb bombs. This is not smart bomb stuff. So we're going to pop up, uh -huh. roll inverted. So now you're so looking our at our the target upside down forward. Right. Roll it. So it's not well, inverted anymore. Acquire the target, so pickle good. your bomb, yeah. okay, pull off to the right, there. come back around, come back down on the ridge line. Five seconds. Noah, dude, we got to do this. <laughs> he goes, okay. <laughs> you know, and so we're right along the ridge line, and it looks like I can reach out and touch it. Oh, I mean, this is. 
what you, you're not really dropping anything. You're just no, it was simulating the deal. Right, so it's okay, roll up, right. pop up, come and this this pitch up and roll over was probably six G's, yeah. right? And so I always wondered, you know, how the pilots always talk about in combat how stressful it is. You're just sitting in a cockpit, air conditioned cockpit. How tough can it be? I was rolling sweat this whole time. I, I lost three pounds this whole thing. It just beats you up. And we so so then he does that, and we come back and we're cruising along for a little bit. He goes, well, looking like we're pretty close to fuel, and all of a sudden over the intercom. It's it's a warning. It's a female voice because males respond to female voices quicker than the male voices. Bingo, 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 bingo fuel. And he goes, we call her home. Bitch and Betty. <laughs> it's like okay. <laughs> so we fly back home, land the bird, and the deal was the day before. I was supposed to fly the day before. There was a tornado that came through. Las Vegas. Oh, there goes my shot. It's going to be months before I get to do this. He's, he was supposed to leave that morning to go as the narrator. He's the front guy. He goes a day ahead of time. And he comes back to me and he goes, tell you what we'll do. This is before we did the flight. He says, I'm going to meet you here at 8 o'clock in the morning. We'll get you in the bird right away. And then I'll bring it. We'll land. We'll do all this stuff. And, and they'll hot refuel me right here on the flight line. And then I'll split out of here. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to get it. You know, bing, bing, bing. Okay, thanks, bye. And then, but no, we went through the entire load of fuel. The entire load of fuel. Because Bitch and Betty came on and said, bingo, fuel. So, um, so, Betty, that's her name? Bitch and Betty. Okay. Bitch and Betty. Nice. And, and I don't know that's what they call her now, but that's what her yeah. name back then was. And uh, so we land, and the sergeant that's kind of showing me around and stuff, and they, she said, uh, after, because now we do this procedure. So, anyway, the bottom line was why they wanted Gear me to pull nine and not 8.9 was he says, I kind of beat you up a little bit because I wanted you to hit nine. Here's why. And he hands me a pin. A cloisonne pin that says nine G's on it, and you get it from General Dynamics, but only if you pull nine G's. He nice. says, "I wanted you to have the pin," and I was like, "This is so cool!" That's awesome. Right? So I have a photo of it that you'll see, and uh, and, and it's on the back of the helmet. And and there so, so I, then I had my buddy Scott Sullivan paint a Simpson helmet for me in the shape of the Thunderbirds, Thunderbirds paint scheme with. Hot Rod Air Force 9Gs. And I wore this when I did uh, top speed stuff at the Silver, at the, not the Silver State, but the, um, the Pony Express race with my Chevelle. Nice. 168 mile an hour with this nice. helmet. So it was, it was quite the deal. So we get all done, and he takes off. And uh, Captain Chris Shambliss, I just saw, I looked up to see maybe I could get in touch with whatever. He's retired now. I think he retired as a full bird colonel, which is very cool. Uh, the Thunderbirds were wonderful people. Uh, we got a whole nother hour of stories that we talked about so? early on the way <laughs> <I think so. laughs> on this stuff. But um, uh, it was it was a, a truly a chance in a lifetime. And uh, in fact, the the who's the lady that's the CBS Evening News with uh, Laurel McDonald. Laura O'Donnell, yeah, and she did the flight, and I've yes. been thinking about sending an email to her and say, "So, if you went for the Thunderbirds, if you pulled nine G's, a two questions: Did you yak? <laughs> Number one, and if you didn't, good for you. My guess is you didn't. You look you look kind of tough. And number two, did you get the pin? And, and, and it'll be like, what pin? Well, if she, she got a pin, she'll know what my question yeah. would be. So I have to do that. It'll be kind of fun because it's a, it's a small, I don't know, you know, there's hundreds probably of, of civilians who have had a chance to do this. So can I tell my dad's story real quick? Uh, sure. Yeah. Not a problem. So as I mentioned, my dad was an A4 driver in the Marine Corps. So my parents got divorced. He's stationed in, uh, in, in uh, on the East Coast in Massachusetts. We moved back to 
my parents' original home in Boone, Iowa. And this is, I think, about 1965 or 66. And my dad has to fly an A-4 from uh, South Weymouth Naval Air Station in, in Massachusetts to Yuma, Arizona. He's got to transport this bird. So he flies, he sets up a flight pattern. So he, he refuels, stops and refuels in Chicago and then sets the flight because he has to do a flight plan through Boone, Iowa, which is kind of odd because it's not a straight shot. And uh, this comes into play later. So um, in the meantime, he calls his mom, my grandmother, and says, have the kids come over and stand in the backyard and I'm going to fly over the, the house. Right. So I got four brothers and sisters. So we're all my grandmother gives us little tea towels and we're facing north from her backyard facing north. He's going to come out of the northeast. So my my sisters are asking me, do you think he'll know where he lives? I said, yeah, I think so. He grew up here, so he knows exactly where he lives. And what do you think he's going to do? He'll fly over, waggle the wings and then take off that. That's plenty cool, right? No. <laughs> what, what we got at that time in the 60s, the Blue Angels were flying the exact same aircraft, A-4 Skyhawk, as what my dad was flying. And so he goes, you want to see the Blue Angels show? I'll give you a Blue Angels show. We got a abbreviated version of the air show that the Blue Angels give you. So one of the past, he comes over the first time, right, comes back around. One of the things that the angels do, I think they still do this as part of their demonstration, is what's called a dirty roll. And a dirty roll is flaps down, gear down, hook down, right? right. At just above stall speed, and you do a roll, right? Yep. <laughs> you know, it was spectacular. And he's up five, six, seven hundred feet. The town thinks it's, this is Boone, Iowa, 13,000 people in the middle of sleepy old Iowa, and they think they're under nuclear attack. <laughs> So, so he does like literally like four passes, right? Does all this great stuff. And then finally comes back down again, flaps down so he can go slow, waggles the wings. We all wave and takes off. Right. So of course the air national guard has been alerted, you know, we're under attack here. It's all your fault. And the air national guard says, a, we don't have a (laughs) fours and B we don't know who this guy is. It says Marine Corps. So we suggest you call them. So, FAA does a quick search, and before he can get to Yuma, they've figured out who he is, right? So he lands the bird, touches down, and rolls in at the hard stand. The crew chief goes, cut, and he raises the thing up, and here come the shore patrol, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is the Navy version of, I may not be, probably Marine Corps MPs. He's put under house arrest, and, uh, and, a long, a short version of a very long story. He has to go back to Des Moines about three or four months later and meet with the FAA, and they are livid. They want his. They want him all. They want. They want to put him in jail. They want his. They want his. He, he's out of the Marine Corps. He'll never fly ever again. Anything, you know. Blah 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 blah. So his squadron commander comes with him. And, and luckily, in Boone, Iowa, was a small contingent of helicopters. And uh, let's, let's make him a captain. I don't really know. Certainly not a lieutenant colonel for, you know, for a small little contingent of a couple of helicopters. So maybe it was a captain. But he was there that day, saw the whole thing. And he was invited because he was an eyewitness to this whole thing. So they, they give all these first-person first person accounts like he flew in through my kitchen window and went out the living room window 
crap like that. I saw a twister. It was in there. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a cow. I think that's the same cow. So um, so anyway, they give all these accounts, and then this the captain stands up and says, yeah, that's a bunch of hooey. He was never below 700 feet. He would, If he'd had a flame out at any point, he would have been able to escape and land the thing somewhere in a field. He never put anyone's lives in danger and everything else. And the FAA says, FAA says, we don't care. He's ours. And that's when his CO stood up and said, well, A, you don't have jurisdiction over the U.S. Marine Corps. We do. He's our problem. We'll deal with it. <laughs> and my dad said that was the most. He did two tours in Nam, flying missions over Quezon, right? You know, I mean, nasty, nasty, nasty. He came back with a 40-millimeter hole in his, in his port wing. He said the, that was the scariest, scare, most scared he ever was. Not when, not when the MVA is shooting at him, you know. <laughs> but it affected his career long term, correct? Yeah, it did. <laughs> you yeah, know, because it, it wasn't exactly, the first time he'd done crazy stuff like the, this. Uh, the, uh, yeah, so, and, and because he wasn't an Annapolis graduate. He was not what the, they call a ring knocker, right? Which they, when, when Annapolis graduates want you to know who they are, they knock their ring on the desk, right? You know, and they call them ring knockers. Nice. So um, he was not a ring knocker. He was not an Annapolis graduate. wasn't even a college graduate. And... Uh, but still, that was yeah, great story. So yep. then, so then after my flight, and th- then we'll wrap this up because I could tell stories. I got, I got one I want to throw in. At the end. Okay, okay, yeah. yeah. No, no. I, okay, I, so always, so the the final thing was <laughs> we go to we go now it's like lunchtime, right? Because we blow through this thing really fast. So we, uh, we go to the restaurant. Jim Brown is with me. Photographer is with me. Nice. And we get to the restaurant. I said I got to make a phone call. And this is before the days of cell phones. So I get the pay phone. I dial my dad's number, and and uh, it rings, and he and. It, and luckily, it, he didn't pick up, right? He wasn't home. So the answer machine comes on. He says, leave a message. And, I'm, you know, you know. and I said, and it was like, beep. And I was like, Dad, it's Jeff. Nine Gs. <laughs> Click. Perfect. <laughs> and, and, and when my dad passed away, there were several guys from his old squadron that said, your dad recorded that and sent it to all of his friends. Awesome. Because <laughs> I, well, I had the G record in the Smith family. So. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> So I've you had, had some fun. I've had a couple of uh, things that we've done. I did some. I did some work with the uh, the Blue Angels. Mm-hmm. Did a deal where we took Christopher Titus and he threw up and took his, <laughs> took his vomit and put it up on eBay. It's kinda really? That's e- the kind of ego you got. Really? You know, he here. scraped it off, put it in a jar. Oh no, he had it in a bag. He had it in a bag. Oh, took it. He's like pulled it up nasty. like you know. It was that's pretty nasty. pretty nasty looking stuff. Yikes! And um, I've done some fun stuff. I did a tail hook on the Kitty Hawk. Spent the night. That yeah. was that was a fun deal. And uh, that was uh, it was back during that era where they were mm-hmm. doing all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, was able to be there when they commissioned the USS Wyoming, the the, the nuke Duke's nuke submarine, submarine yep. at uh, Groton. That was pretty fun. We did all that. Yeah. But one story that I. I just buttoned it up with, uh, this was kind of a fun deal. I did a story um, with um, uh, Classic Warbirds. It was, in, um, uh, it was in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And this guy, Larry Selganic, had a series of about six different classic jets. You know, MiG-15, wow. MiG-17, L-29 check fighter. He had something called a Fuqua, which was a French fighter, which yeah. had, they were stacked like this. Yeah. You know, so it was a pretty, yeah. co- pretty cool deal. So I brought a friend of mine who was, um, he was a good pilot. His name was uh, Mike Holloway. And Mike was uh, the pilot for Mrs. Disney uh, way back when. And he was, wow. he was quite good. He was actually very good. And he had, he had stopped doing that. But I said, I'm going to do this deal with the, with the Warbirds. I'd like to bring a pilot. You know, he said, he's still certified. He was actually a certified aircraft mechanic 
and a pilot. Still had his wow. pilot's license. So I thought, this will be great. We'll get his impression, the whole bit. Mm-hmm. So we go there, and um, the first couple of days, Mike is not buying it. There's a giant fuel stain underneath the MiG-15. He's mm-hmm. looking at this thing going like, I don't think I want to fly any of these planes. So this is really. <laughs> they going to let him fly? Some? So, oh yeah, they're going to let him fly. Wow. He was going to fly it with another with the with this guy Larry. Larry oh, was okay. going to be in the plane. Okay, but he was going to let him fly it. Mm-hmm. And and so anyway, so finally he does. He says, uh, "Well, I'll fly the L twenty nine check fighter." Mm-hmm. Okay, and so that is the same uh, plane that uh, Bob Lutz has. You know, the okay. the, the, the GM of yeah, yeah. Chrysler and Chevrolet sure. and that. Quite a character, anyway. So. Um, we go out, and um, so I brought my photographer with me, and we're trying to figure out how we can get air-to-air choreography. So mm-hmm. we've got this whole thing that's all set up, and and this guy comes back. You know, he looks around the airport in Santa Fe, and he finds like a Russian yak, and it's it's a it's a biplane, <laughs> and it's and it's prop driven. Yeah, okay, yeah. So with a monster engine. Yes, monster yeah. engine, and it's open, open cockpit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's open, open cockpit. I think those things can. St- Hang on the propeller. Uh, well, it's, it's I think the, they, yeah. Well, the funniest part is that we figure out with all the calculations that the L-29 at its absolute slowest and the Yak Fighter at its absolute fastest firewall, firewall. is about a 15 knot difference. So it's like, this is going to be quick. You know, we're going to have to probably come around the whole time. Yeah. So anyway, so so Mike goes in and he gets in the plane and he's they're going through the whole deal. And he, he feels really comfortable on the plane. So it's all all good. And... Before that, we had met this guy who was the, the, the guy who does all the uh, annuals on the plane. He's the mechanic. Okay. So so we talked to this guy, and nice conversation. We were there for about three days, so we were, like, you know, screwing around for the, the whole deal. So we, we do this thing where uh, we talk to him, and we get a feel for what's going on with the plane. And then, my, then Mike goes, because we're trying to put a, a, one of those old video cameras in it. This is the 90s. And uh, he says, yeah, he says, do you have a, a set of safety wire pliers? And he, you know, he's talking to the to the uh, mechanic, and the guy goes, "Well, yeah, I think so." And it's like, it's like, okay, it was just kind of this weird exchange. It's yeah, like safety wire, like, of course you safe, have. safety <laughs> wire pliers. How how bad? How, how we know what that is, yes, right? We yes. all know what that is. So anyway, he goes and he digs around in his toolbox and he comes out with these crusty looking safety wire pliers. Comes over and Mike takes the safety wire pliers and wires the camera into mm-hmm. this deal, makeshift deal. But he does a really nice job, and so it's up in the corner, and he knows where the buttons, where he can turn on the camera, and the whole bit. So it's all fired up and ready to go. So we do this deal, and the photography is really good. Mm-hmm. And this, you know, my my photographer is he's been sitting in the back of this yak for you know it's just the <laughs> open funniest cockpit. Oh, open cockpit. I mean, it's a classic <laughs> old deal. And um, so we shoot the whole thing and it comes out great. And we're, you know, at the end of the deal, we're, you know, we're talking and whatever. So I say to the mechanic, I said, so uh, you're going to do an annual on the, on the Fuqua? He goes, yeah, I'll do, I'll do that pretty soon. I said, so how long have you been a certified aircraft mechanic? He goes, I'm not a certified aircraft mechanic, <laughs> but you're going to do an annual on that plane. He goes, well, I have a book. <laughs> 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 and I, and I, so, but the capper was the whole deal. We're the same conversation. We're going. So, uh, how do you know Larry? We're talking to the mechanic. How do you know Larry? He goes, mm-hmm. 
oh, we have a vending machine operation on the other side. So he was the vending machine mechanic oh, no. who had worked on all these planes, and Mike's face just went white. Oh, it was yeah. like, whoa, this, oh. where do you put the quarter in this, in this plane? It's like, but that was the funniest deal because he just went, wow. he just, just, I remember his face being just like, yeah. It's like I've he's the vending machine the vending guy machine mechanic. That, uh, that made this plane fly. So anyway, but we got a bunch that's of That's a great story. Funny, yeah. So yeah. lots of fun stuff. So yeah. you never know who the mechanic is. Yeah. That's right. If they don't know what safety wire pliers is, don't get in the plane. Don't get in the plane with them. Yeah. That was, should have been the first clue right there. It's like, dude, Pretty you fun. should know what these are. Pretty right? fun. Pretty fun. Well, good. I love yeah. the story. Well, yeah. Uh, people will get a chance to see your uh, your video and, yeah. Uh, yeah. and uh, vicariously enjoy that thrill. Yeah. I almost so, got with the, with the Blue Angels after that whole deal with Titus. I almost got to go, but it happened on December 20, or dis, no, I'm sorry, January 17th, because the Blue Angels are only in El Centro uh -huh. the month of January. The rest okay. of the time they're in... Um, they're on the road. They're all, yeah. No, they're, they're in uh, Pensacola. Okay. And uh, Capra was, uh, that was the day of the earthquake in 94. Ah. That was my day. Chaos I ensued it. after that. Yeah, I picked a good day. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> but anyway, I'm glad to hear your story. Yeah, that was this an awesome was a lot story. of fun. So, yeah. So it's a little bit, it's not automotive, but we have a good time. And it was it was the ultimate hot rod ride, literally the ultimate hot rod ride. Because where else are you going to pull nine Gs twice? So, uh, yeah. So, you know, uh, thanks for watching. And if you like what we're doing, Let's support us the whole thing. Yeah. Talk to ARP. You can go up on their, their website, arp-bolts.com. And uh, we'll just keep cranking these things out for you.